Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Scarborough Lawcast, the podcast designed to educate you about a variety of matters, basically estate planning, your business, and immigration. Why, um, why those three? For many years, I practiced immigration law. I had a lot of clients who had issues with the state plan. We had, unfortunately, had clients here on temporary work visas who passed away, who had to be repatriated to their home country, had incapacity issues. So I was drawn to estate planning um, through my immigration practice. And of course, my immigration practice is a business immigration practice, not a deportation practice, but business immigration. So through the immigration practice, we did a lot of business transactions and dealt with a lot of mergers and acquisitions and issues like that. So um, those, uh, my immigration practice actually touched a lot on estate planning and uh, extensively on business matters. Today, I'm going to talk to you about immigration matters, um, namely the September 2019 visa bulletin. So what is a visa bulletin? So this is about um, immigrant visas. So an immigrant visa is the green card, right? Why, when you want to petition for a family member, an employee to come to the United States on a green card, what we call lawful permanent residence, that's the legal name for it, um, the way your family member or employee gets to the United States is controlled by, you know, statutory, there are statutory controls in place that say how many immigrants are allowed to come into the United States every year. Um, Fiscal year 2019 limit for family-based sponsorship um, is 226,000. The fiscal year 2019 employment-based immigrants, uh, uh, preference to immigrants uh, for employment-based, meaning I'm a boss and I want to have an employee come as a green card holder, is 141,918. So contrary to some of the rhetoric that we see passing around these days, um, we don't open our doors to everybody. It's limited statutorily how many people can come in every year. And, um, And in addition to those limits, there are per country limits placed for some of those countries that use high numbers. So per country limitations come in for what we call oversubscribed in those areas that use a lot of visas. Let's basically say there are per country limits um, when visa demand exceeds the per country limit. And some of these would be backlogged like China, India, some of the family based in Mexico, Philippines, Vietnam, Guatemala, and Honduras, for instance. So, I'll leave the link to the visa bulletin in the um, in the text, but it's at travel.state.gov. It's called the visa bulletin. Every month, a visa bulletin is issued. Essentially, what the State Department tries to do with the visa bulletin monthly is try to predict how many um, visa numbers are going to be available, how many immigrant visa numbers are going to be available through the end of the year. So um, it's difficult and it, uh, it is um, there's a staff at the Department of State that um, tries to project how how these numbers are going to be used in each category if you go to travel.state.gov to the visa bulletin or if you just google visa bulletin or look um, below the recording in the link you'll see um, how these categories are divided up 
So family-based sponsored, for instance, is divided up. Number one, you have immediate relatives. Immediate relatives are um, spouses, parents, and minor children of, um, I shouldn't say minor children, children. Child as defined by the Immigration Nationality Act is um, is a chi your child under the age of 21. So um, that's an immediate relative. They're not controlled by the visa bulletin um, because they have what we call immediately available numbers. So an immediate relative can come as soon as the processing is through. So how does immediate relative come? So we're not referring to the visa bulletin for immediate relative. So how does an immediate relative come? An immediate relative comes to the United States. I get married to someone who, uh, who is a foreign national, not a citizen of the United States. If they're outside the United States, then I file an immigrant petition for them, an I-130. Once that I-130 is processed, approved, then the National Visa Center, which is a division of the State Department, uh, processes the immigrant visa petition, takes the approval from the USCIS, the Department of Homeland Security, which um, controls the I-130, the immigrant petition. Once I get that approval to the National Visa Center, the National Visa Center issues what they call a fee bill. And uh, that fee bill includes, yes, a fee that is assessed. And then I, um, it also includes an invoice number that gives me access to the CEAC website where I can fill in, um, where I can pay the fee bill first, and I can fill in a DS form 260 for my spouse. And I can also submit evidence to the National Visa Center. National Visa Center has a terrific website, um, and I will give them kudos because they walk you through the entire immigrant visa process. It is um, a cumbersome administrative process. If you do not have um, the ability to handle a cumbersome administrative process, then you can't do it. But if you have the ability to, you know, can't do it on your own, for instance, um, sometimes it's just easier to hire somebody to help you, like in a law firm like ourselves. But the National Visa Center website, which I'll also put in the, um, in the text below, um, the National Visa Center website, I find it to be terrific. I mean, they've just improved this website tremendously. If you go to immigrate to the United States on travel.state.gov, um, you know, go to US visas, immigrate, it, it walks you through the entire process. First step, submit a petition. That's the form I-130 that goes to the Department of Homeland Security. Once it's approved, the National Visa Center, um, the National Visa Center sends you the fee bill, like I said, and then you collect it. After you pay the fee bill, you collect and submit information. There are financial documents and personal documents needed. The National Visa Center makes it very, very clear what documents are needed and what are acceptable forms of evidence. For instance, you might not have a birth certificate. You might, you know, some people who were born in India, let's say before 1970, potentially won't have a birth certificate. So they may have to do um, submit additional evidence. Um, you might have to submit baptismal records. So there, the visa reciprocity table tells you exactly what documents you're required to submit. You submit proof of who you are and your age and all of your biometric details. And you also submit um, financial documents. And the financial documents are for your sponsor. 
to show that you're not going to become a public charge. Public charge is one of those things I'll cover in a future episode because um, in order to immigrate to the United States, you have to show that your family member is not going to become a public charge. Or if you're an employer petitioning for an employee, you have to show that you have the ability to pay that wage and that they're, you know, that, that you're going to pay that wage, um, the wage that you're going to pay the employee so that they don't become a public charge. So what happens with this Form I-864, which is an affidavit of support, your sponsor has to sign if you're a family-based petition. And what that says is if you or your dependents are immigrating to the U.S., um, they should not receive any designated federal, state, or local means-tested benefits. So um, the agency that is paying out, let's say you're, you bring a family member and your family member ends up getting a federal, state, or local means-tested benefit, that agency will come back to your sponsor who signs the I-864, the affidavit of support, and will ask for that money. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about public uh, charge in a future episode, as I said, because the current administration has been very strict on this. So they want to make sure that you meet the poverty line whenever you bring your, uh, your family member in. But also means-tested benefits could have some great um, implications for your, um, your family member's ability to keep their green card. So we'll talk about that in the future. For this episode, we're just going to talk about the immigrant visa process and the visa bulletin. So family-based processing, we're at the National Visa Center. We collect the financial documents, collect the biometric documents. We submit them all to the National Visa Center, and then we wait. And it's a long wait. So the National Visa Center is backlogged right now. I think right now they're saying the current case review time is they're working on documents submitted to them July 28th, 2019. So today is September 11th, 2019, uh, lest we forget. Um, so they're really taking six to eight weeks to review documents. And I should say, uh, when they receive all of the documents, and this is where it's nice to have help from somebody who's processed um, a lot of immigrant visa process, uh, I've gone through uh, immigrant visa processing extensively. Um, the National Visa Center has to have um, all your fees. They have to have your affidavit of support, all your financial documents, your form DS-260, and all of your civil documents before they'll finalize a case. So once they have all of those documents, that's the July 28th. Let's say you sent everything in on July 28th. Then as of September 9th, 2019, when um, the current case review time is posted, the National Visa Center will be looking at your documents. That means you've waited um, six weeks now, and the not if you forgot something or the, some document wasn't submitted or even they just didn't like the quality of the document that was submitted, then they're going to ask you again for that document or for a document that was missed, and then you'll wait another six or eight weeks. So um, so really, um, it is a long process, and I have to say, uh, in our experience recently, it is not six weeks, it's more like 10 weeks. So you'll wait a long time, they'll review the documents, hopefully they're all done. Once they review the documents, um, you'll finally get to a point where you've submitted everything you need to submit and everything is fine. And they say, okay, we're ready to make an appointment with the, the U S consulate um, in your home country, in your spouse's home country or your relative's home country, if you're doing a family based case. 
and then you'll wait for the consulate to issue an appointment. So what happens then? You receive the appointment. Who knows how long it takes? It really depends on the consulate. Um, it, but usually within you know, 30 days or so, you have an appointment. <clears throat> um, sometimes it takes 60 days. It just depends on the country. But you really do need a couple of weeks in advance. So they'll notify you generally three to four weeks in advance of your appointment, sometimes longer. Um, why do you need that kind of time? Because you also have to do biometrics whenever you, before you go to the consulate or your you know, foreign national family member or employee will. And then also your foreign national family member or employee will also get a medical exam and has to meet the, um, has to um, see a civil surgeon who's sanctioned by the State Department to give the exam. Once the exam is complete, then um, that gets transmitted to the, to the consulate and then your family member or employee goes to the consulate, gets an immigrant visa, Hopefully there are no issues. They get their immigrant visa. Once they have their immigrant visa, then you pay another fee with the USCIS for the issuance of the green card. You come back to the Department of Homeland Security, pay another fee. Currently in September 2019, it's $220. You pay that fee, and that fee is meant to just pay for the issuance of the green card. As I said, I've been practicing for a while, so um, uh, there never was a fee before a few years ago. Uh, USCIS, which is the Department of Homeland Security, I guess they were just issuing those green cards without an additional fee. So they've assessed that fee. Why do we have to wait to get your passport back with an immigrant visa stamp in it before we pay that fee? Quite simply, you're issued an alien number and there are numbers on the actual um, visa stamp that we need in order to pay that fee or that you'll need in order to pay that fee at USCIS.gov. You pay the fee, your um, employee or your family member has a packet of information and then carries that packet of information along with their passport with the visa stamp in it, the immigrant visa stamp in it. They carry that into the country when they arrive at the port of entry in the United States. It's wonderful. They go through a quick uh, uh, processing at the port of entry and they are stamped in as an immigrant. So they get a temporary green card stamp in their passport. So they enter with an immigrant visa, they get a temporary green card stamp in their passport. And then really um, it's quite an efficient system um, because generally within 30 days, you have your green card at, at home, uh, your foreign national does. And then now um, you actually also get the social security number mailed to you right around the same time because they've kind of commingled those processes and um, a request for a social security number is made when you enter. So it's great. Um, things, it actually works quite well when it works. So um, usually within 30 days, your spouse has, I like it whenever people enter it with a green card because they have immediate eligibility to work. Yes, they can work. Uh, as soon as they have their social security number, they can work with that immigrant visa stamp in their passport, the entry stamp, which is really terrific for your, uh, for your spouse because it helps with integration or your employee because you want to get them settled as soon as possible. It helps with integration. Um, you know, they get to, you know, kind of get right on, right on uh, starting their new life in the United States as a lawful permanent resident. So that's the immigrant visa process. If you're petitioning for somebody who is not in the United States, an employee or a family member, if you're petitioning for someone who is in the United States, the entire process happens in the United States if they're eligible. 
if they've entered um, and were inspected and admitted into the United States and they're not on, there are some restricted visas where you can't um, adjust status and get a green card from within the United States, and that would be crew members. C and D visas, for instance, cannot get um, a green card directly by adjusting status in the United States because crew members are precluded from doing that. But if you've been inspected and admitted, if you're if you entered without status, you cannot get a green card from within the United States in most circumstances, unless you go through a court process. Um, and if you're eligible, but if you, in most circumstances, a direct adjustment of status, you have to have been inspected and admitted. What does inspected and admitted means? You entered the United States legally, right? You've been, you, they, you pass through a border, a port of entry, and you're recognized and you're allowed to come in, whether that's with a visa or with a parole or one of those things. So you file an, an I-130 along with an adjustment of status if you're in the United States and you're eligible to do so. Word of caution, make sure you're eligible to do so. If you're not eligible to do so and you file an I-130 and an adjustment of status, then you'll likely end up in removal proceedings. So make sure that you consult with an attorney and you're eligible to do so. Um, <clears throat> so those two processes are what happen either through the immigrant visa process from a con U.S. consulate abroad or an adjustment of status filed in the United States with somebody who's eligible to adjust status in the United States. So let's get back to the visa bulletin. So where are we with the visa bulletin? So, um, you know, a review of the visa bulletin, again, the link is provided below in the, in, below the recording. So the visa bulletin um, for immediate relatives I've described, you come in fairly quickly as soon as the process is done. I would say for immediate relatives, spouses and um, minor ch or children under the age of 21 and um, parents of U.S. citizens, those individuals are usually here within a year, I would say. Sometimes it takes a little longer with processing. Uh, the I-130s have been delayed lately, the immigrant petitions, but generally it, it's a fairly you know, quick process, if you can call a year a quick process, but um, that's just how it works. Um, and so family-based sponsor preference categories. The first preference category, unmarried sons and daughters of US citizens. You know, Right now we're seeing the first preference category for um, China, India, um, and all other chargeability areas, except for Mexico and the Philippines at 2013. What does that mean? So if I'm petitioning today for an unmarried son and daughter of a US citizen, and what is an unmarried son and daughter? That is my child who is 21 or older, and my unmarried son and daughter, and I'm a US citizen. I have a child who's 22 years old and I'm petitioning for them. So. Um, yes, that means I filed the immigrant petition today. That gives me a priority date. The day you file your I-130 for a family-based case is my priority date. My priority date is, let's say, September 1st, 2019. My priority date is September 1st, 2019, and um, my child is from any country except Mexico and the Philippines, then um, I have to wait roughly six years for that person to come to the United States, roughly. Why do I have to wait? Well, the, the cutoff date for all chargeability areas, and I should mention chargeability is essentially where you were born. Um, if, they're, if you're born in Europe, then you're gonna have all chargeability areas for family-based first preference category. I have a, you know, my child who is um, my adult child, who's 22 years old, for instance, 
um, I'm going to have to wait about six years to bring them to the United States. But it's important that I get that immigrant petition filed, right? Because that gives me my priority date. The priority date is what is used. The filing date of the I-130 is what is used to compare to the cutoff date. So the current cutoff for family-based first preference category is January 2013. Yes, they're going to wait six years, uh, roughly six years, because the visa bulletin doesn't move every single month. You have to just check it every month, but let's say an approximation of six years. Let's hope that my child in that six years, my adult child doesn't decide to get married. If they decide to get married, they drop down to the family-based third preference category, which is 2007. So now they're waiting 12 years roughly. Whereas as an unmarried son or daughter of a U.S. citizen, the wait is um, six years. So I, I go through this and you can look at the visa bulletin because I go through this to just show you that it is not, we are not flinging the doors open and letting people come in. And this my 21 year old child, adult child of a U.S. citizen is going to have to wait six years and in that time is cannot get married. And if they get married, then they're going to have to wait another six years, roughly, sometimes longer. So I'm, I'm telling you this to show you how long you have to wait. And yes, that's how it is. But it is important to file the immigrant petition because it's important to get that priority date once again, because the priority date sets everything else in motion, even though it doesn't confer any benefit to, to the, um, the beneficiary, to your family member it's important to secure that priority date at the earliest possible date. It's even worse if you're from Mexico. Mexico cutoff date is August of 1996. Um, so if you're filing today, uh, your, your adult son or daughter from Mexico is going to wait quite a long time um, you know, to be eligible to come to the United States, 23 years. Why? It's demand, right? It's oversubscribed. It's just high demand. So that's why Mexico has that call out. India um, is still January 2013 for a family based and Philippines is June 22nd, 2008. Um, a lot of people ask me about the sibling category also. There is a sibling category. So we have that F1, which is unmarried sons and daughters of US citizens. That's 21 years and older. Um, my adult children, basically 21 years and older. Um, the second preference category is divided into two separate uh, F2A and F2B, and it's essentially spouses and children of personal resident of permanent residence. So if I'm a green, if I get my green card and I want my spouse to come to the United States or I want my child to come to the United States, my child who is under 21, right? So if I want my child to come to the United States, that's F2A category. And my unmarried son and daughter, um, 21 years or older, of permanent residence would be the F2B category. So F1 is my children of a US citizen, my adult children of US citizens, so 21 years and older. F2A is my spouse or child if I'm a permanent resident, a green card holder. F2B is my adult child if I'm a green card holder. So I'm a green card holder and my adult child wants to come to the United States, 21 years age or older, that's F2B. F3 is my married son and daughter of a U.S. citizen. So that's 21. If I have an adult child who's 21 years or older and they're married, that's a family-based third preference category. And the visa bulletin, I should say, very clearly lays out the categories and how it applies. And F4 is the sibling category. So the F4 sibling category 
is at 2006 for all chargeability areas, which would be like everywhere except China, India, Mexico, and the Philippines. And that's if they're chargeable to it. And we'll talk later in later episodes about cross chargeability and how chargeability applies. But basically, um, you know, for today's discussion, it's really um, where were you born, right? The, your native country, is in essence. Um, and that's kind of an oversimplification, but um, I don't want to get into chargeability and cross chargeability today. So, family based preference categories. Um, Take a look at the visa bulletin and see where it moves. Uh, for today's discussion, I wanted to emphasize the importance of getting the immigrant visa um, petition filed. And I know it's hard. Sometimes I have families who are really trying to scrape together the money to file. Filing fee is $535 for the I-130. You're also going, you know, of course, you're going to pay to have a, um, an attorney assist you. And if an attorney is assisting you, especially when you're talking about some of these complex issues, um, related to when your family member might be able to come or whether your family member should get married right now or wait to get married for a couple more years. Those types of issues, you definitely consult with an uh, attorney. And frankly, it goes for this entire episode or any episode that I post. Seek the advice of a qualified uh, attorney in either in estate planning business uh, practice or um, immigration, whenever I'm talking about anything on this podcast, of course. So um, that's family-based um, final action dates, let's say. So I should mention something about the visa bulletin because when you go onto the visa bulletin, you'll see final action dates and you'll see dates for filing. There are two categories, A and B, under both the family-based and the employment-based. Quite simply means this. Final action dates are dates where um, an immigrant visa can be issued or someone could adjust status. The dates for filing family-based sponsors applications or dates for filing employment-based what that merely means is that gives us an opportunity. Remember, I, I described at the beginning of the episode the National Visa Center process, and that just gives us the opportunity to start the paperwork process based on the date given under dates for filing. So the National Visa Center can get ahead of the process, and you really should take advantage of this time. And it's it's underutilized, I will say but you really should take advantage of this time to start sending your documentation early because you can get a six, sometimes a six month jump and sometimes longer on submitting your paperwork to the National Visa Center as opposed to waiting for the dates for filing. Um, and you'll lose time if you wait for the dates for filing. In fact, you should check the visa bulletin and those dates for filing because sometimes the National Visa Center doesn't alert you in a timely manner. So for, I'll give you an example. Um, the final action date for the first preference category is January 13, uh, January 1st, 2013. The, the dates for filing is May 1st, 2013. So um, you're getting almost a five-month jump on submitting paperwork. And remember what I said at the beginning, the National Visa Center process is really taking 10-plus weeks to review the documents. You have to get the fee bill issued. You have to get the documents submitted. You might make some mistakes in submitting the documents or they don't like the way your birth certificate is worded, something like that. Or, you know, a document may be incorrect. It might take time. It might take you time to get financial documents together. Start that process as early as you're able to. And if you see that your priority date, so the date, your priority date is listed on your I-130 for the family-based. And it's also listed on your I-140 approval notice for an employment-based um, we'll talk about employment-based in a second. But on your I-130, the priority date is listed there. It's essentially your date of filing. It'll say date of filing. It'll say priority date. Usually those dates match up. Um, 
So if you see that you are, yet your priority date precedes May 1st, 2013, then you want to take advantage of that, right? You want to start submitting documents as early as you can. And that way, the National Visa Center will start processing your um, will start processing your paperwork and potentially you could have it all completed and done and just be waiting for a consular interview when your priority date becomes current. Meaning when we say priority date becomes current, what we're saying there is now your priority date precedes January 1st, 2013, let's say if your first preference category. So it precedes the cutoff date listed on the visa bulletin for your category. So if, my, if I have December 31st, 2012, priority date or before that, then I can get my immigrant visa. I can go to the consulate now and get my immigrant visa, or I can file my adjustment of status if I'm in the United States in lawful status, let's say. Um, and, um, and I can do that because I've already submitted all the documents because I've gone by the dates for filing and I have everything in and the National Visa Center has completed my processing well in advance, months in advance of me um, of me being, uh, if of me, uh, being eligible. So that's family-based sponsorship. Um, I'll go through employment-based in the next episode. And, um, thank you for looking, check below for the, v the visa bulletin link, check it out. If you have any questions, message me off offline, look forward to the next episode where I'll talk about employment-based visa bulletin issues. Thank you so much. This is Stephanie Scarborough on the Scarborough Lawcast. I'll always seek the advice of a qualified attorney to handle your matter. Thank you so much.